Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. This year at Church Central South, we are unashamedly getting a little bit more deliberate and focused around what it means to be a disciple. If you don't know that we're trying to be a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more intentional about that, then you might regularly find yourself bemused at different points over the next year. Uh, It's not a new thing, but we are very seriously trying to get a little bit more focused about what it means to truly be a disciple. Because the risen Jesus, uh, ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father in glory, didn't say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now therefore go and make attendees, baptizing them in the name of consumerism, comfort and passivity, teaching them to nod along at most of what I taught you. But the risen Lord Jesus, just before he ascended to the right hand of his Father in glory, did say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And do you know that all of this is for that? Don't know if you just, we lose that sometimes. But all of this is for that. And so throughout January, we've been uh, honing in on what that word really means, what it truly means to be a disciple and to follow Jesus. And in three weeks, uh, we have seen so much already, haven't we? That a disciple is not a student. Just to be clear, if you're a student, you can be a disciple. So it doesn't work the other way. Okay, But a disciple is not a student who sits and listens and learns. Rather, a disciple is an apprentice who, of course, sits and listens and learns and sits and listens and learns more than you would even know. But all the sitting and listening and learning is for the actual goal, which is what it's all about, which is putting it into practice. We saw that in its very definition, being a disciple of Jesus is costly. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And take up our cross to do what? Two big summary headings that you can check out in the last two talks that we did uh, in this series. Jesus calls us to costly love of God, expressed in giving him our time and obeying his commands. And costly love of people, starting with those closest to us and then rippling outwards into the church and out even beyond that as well. I guess you could summarize, I know some of you have been dipping in and out uh, over the last few weeks. You could summarize all we've seen like this. A disciple of Jesus practices costly love for God and for people. A disciple of Jesus practices costly love for God and for people. Now, I don't know what your emotional reaction is to that. I would imagine that your 
theological reaction to it is that you agree with it as a sentence. And I would imagine that there's a big part of you that says yes and amen to it because we at least in theory want to at least be in a church where other people at least do that, right? But I would also recognize in myself, just to be honest, over the last few weeks hearing about this stuff, I also have this sort of rumbling, squirming, allergic reaction going on in me where I sort of fidget a bit and I hope that no one really asks me about it. Because I don't know about you, but life is already quite hard. And so even though in theory I'm up for shaking off my laziness and embracing a a life of increased daily sacrifice that proactively obeys the commands of the crucified Messiah, it does all sound quite hard as well. And therefore, I would guess, if you're anything like me, that among our church, some of us might well have been subconsciously or even in your inner thoughts that you're, you're, you're chatting away to yourself, just opting out of this vision of what it really means to be a Christian for one basic and very understandable reason that we're already exhausted and life is already quite a lot. And so if we're honest, knowing ourselves quite well, we just don't think we could really manage to dial any of this stuff up a notch and at least not for more than a few adrenaline-fueled weeks after the January sermon series vibe has trickled away. Now, if that's you and you resonate with any of that, which is completely understandable, whenever we think something's going to be hard, we have a, a, an inbuilt fight-or-flight reaction, which means you might well either be annoyed at it or opt out of it. But if that's you, I just want you to hang in there for a few more moments. Please don't write yourself out of Jesus' invitation to apprenticeship, at least not yet. Because yes, there's a cost, but my dear church family, a closer walk with Jesus has never been bad news for the exhausted and the burdened and those aware to their core of their weakness. No, a closer walk with Jesus is the soul-restoring invitation for the exhausted, for the burdened, for the weak, for the beat up in life, for real people like me and like you with a lot to carry, it's for us. Because yes, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. But he also, when he said that, had a vision of what that meant that also enabled him to say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said both things are part of following him. And so what I want to do as we finish this little mini-series at the start of this year where we're going to be a bit more focused on this, as lots of us prepare to launch into our uh, completely opt-in little mini-discipleship groups that we're launching in the next few weeks, and just to flag up, when we say those are opt-in, That could not be more genuine as a comment. They are opt-in. Some of the best disciples in my community group, the most truest radical followers of Jesus, for many very good and accurate reasons, some of them are not opting into the little discipleship group thing that we're launching. And that's not naughty. That's fine. 
Discipleship is non-negotiable. If a structure set up in the church doesn't serve you right now, that's okay. But as many of us launch into these little discipleship groups, I want to invite all of us to what we might call sustainable discipleship. Sustainable discipleship. Now, radicals in the room, if you're worried that already we're watering it down, okay, we've gone from Johnny, who tells us what it really is, we get rich in to sort of make it kind, um, okay, that isn't the vibe. Johnny's very kind as well. <laughs> we're not talking about a discipleship that's now somehow enabled to be easy, because that doesn't exist But we are talking about a discipleship that's enabled to be truly accessible to all of us, wherever our starting point, and crucially, that can endure. Because yes, Jesus wants you to practice costly love for God and people, but not just for a few weeks while the adrenaline's up, or while you're in a good place particularly. Rather, he invites the real you to grow into a lifetime of love over the long haul. His vision for you, his call to you, his command to you is definitely one of pouring yourself out over the long term, but it isn't one of burning yourself out in the short term. And so to help us with this, I want to share four principles that we have wanted to build in to the DNA of these discipleship groups that we're going to be launching into And frankly, the DNA of all discipleship in this church to enable us, yes, to run our race radically, but also to run our race with endurance so that we don't, like the plant in the parable of the sower, spring up and wilt, but rather that we grow into, as Isaiah would say, an oak of righteousness that's built over months and years. If we want to do this and and enter into a sustainable discipleship, it needs to be four things. It needs to be, uh, get your jargon uh, alarm out, holistic, individualized, relational, and built on Jesus. If you can just stick with me long enough to see past the jargon, uh, I hope that this will be really helpful for us as I explain each one in turn. Firstly, a sustainable discipleship is to be holistic. And by that, I mean that it has to take into account the whole person. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's really kept quiet, particularly in churches. But did you know that thriving spiritually isn't only about spiritual things? You see, you and I are not just spiritual people. We are multifaceted, complex beings with different interconnected elements that make up our humanity. Yes, God made us spiritual beings, and I think it's right that that gets a little bit of more noise in the church because it's not something that anywhere else is really going to serve you in. But he also made us emotional beings, rational beings, physical beings, and relational beings. And all of that makes up the whole person to whom Jesus Christ says, come follow me. He doesn't say, hey, spiritual bit, I'll have you. No, he says, all of you with all of me. It's all important to Jesus. And there's another secret that's even more fundamental here. 
it's not just true that all of those elements are important, but all of those elements impact all of the other areas of your humanity. Let me give you some examples. Uh, You already know this. If you have ever had something sad happen in your life and noticed drops of water falling from your eyes, that is evidence that your emotional life impacts your physical life. If you've ever struggled to sleep because of worry, that is your mind impacting your physical health again. If you've ever struggled to feel loads of rapturous love for God and others when you're on your period or having a migraine or recovering from COVID, that's your body impacting your spirit. If you've ever not wanted to hang out with anyone because you're tired, community group WhatsApps, I see you. Every Wednesday and Thursday, I see you. And I actually did this last night because I was really tired. (laughs) But that is our body impacting our relationships. If you've ever found yourself happier for spending time with a friend, that's your relationships impacting your emotions. If you've ever found increased joy, this is the holy grail one. Because you went for a walk outside with another person, that's your body impacting your emotions and your spiritual life and your mental health and your relationships. So guys, if we just go for walks with other people, everything will be resolved, (laughs) okay? That one touches every corner of us. My brother or my sister here, if you want to thrive spiritually for the long haul, it's not only the spiritual stuff we need to attend to. And the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 shows us this really, really clearly. Elijah is crashing out of life and ready to give up because the journey ahead looks too rough. I don't know if there's any Hamilton fans here, but near the end of Hamilton, when Angelica says of Eliza that there are moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. And that is where Elijah is at this point. Maybe you resonate with that. And do you know what the turning point is for him? It isn't that he goes to a Christian conference. It's that in verse 5, he sleeps. And then in the the, the same verse, uh, a mysterious figure called the angel of the Lord, who some think is an angel, some would say it's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Jargon, 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 like because he receives worship at various points in the Old Testament. And it seems to be somehow God, somehow a messenger, somehow a person, somehow God. And it's this weird character, but you need to know he's really important and he's from heaven. And he comes to Elijah. And what does he do? He cooks him a meal and says, eat. It reminds me of Jesus after the resurrection, traumatized friends. And what does he do? He gathers them together. And he cooks some breakfast. And then after that, it says that my favorite verse on discipleship in the whole of the Bible, in verse 6, it says, He ate and drank and lay down again. (laughs) I'm going to get that tattooed on me one day. (laughs) That is a vision of the Christian life that I am up for. And only after that did he go on a walk. And only after that did God speak to him. If we're going to follow God for the long haul in a culture where burning out and wilting is just the norm, it's just expected, it's mainstream, 
then we have to attend to these other aspects of our lives. And so that is why in our groups and in our church, it's important that for all the increased intentionality, increased clarity, and and, and punting for new zeal, it's important that the tone is not a merciless boot camp for super disciples. We're a church. We're a family. We're on a mission, but we're a family. And so we need to be real, we need to be gentle, we need to be kind. How are you is a legitimate question in the church. And to help with this, not every time, not every time, but regularly in our groups, we're going to be using a simple well-being audit that some of you might recognize from our well-being course a few years back. A 10-minute exercise that prompts self-reflection as to how you really are emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, and yes, spiritually. And any discipleship that intends to endure needs to truly be holistic. Uh, Much quicker, uh, let's uh, do the other four, which uh, to help you remember them, uh, all make up the acronym HERB, but spelt with an I. (laughs) Number two, individualized. Our discipleship needs to be individualized. Now, not can hear the radicals tutting at me again, not individualistic. That is what we need to disciple ourselves out of. Individualism, where it's all about you, but individualized as in it's specific to you. See, there are different life stages, different seasons, different learning styles, different temperaments, different work settings, different seasons within the different work settings different hurts, different callings. And so it would be ridiculous, if not blasphemous, to imagine your apprenticeship to Jesus has to look exactly the same as someone else's. And this isn't me going off peace, I hope. This, I think, is in the New Testament so clear that we just miss it. Because in Paul's writings, there's very often some big, general, applicable to all New Testament instructions like submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Love one another. Let your lives be worthy of the gospel. These are for all of us. And so it's not a choose your own adventure. There is some stuff that Jesus really tells us about. But then Paul, he applies those general truths into all these different types of follower of Jesus. So he often applies, doesn't he, and even names it to children, parents, servants, masters, citizens, rulers, Jews, Gentiles, young, old, men, women, people who are single, husbands, wives, widows, the rich, the poor, leaders, new converts, deacons, etc. And so you might have been thinking or might even feel right now, it's all right for you, Rich, with your fake job. And, and, your, and your simple life. I actually have stuff to do, okay? I can't carry any more cross on my back, thank you. God knows what your life actually is like. And it's you who he says, come follow me. He wants you. 
And that's why we're, yes, centrally going to bring some provocation and brush strokes that are abroad to our discipleship. We want to be loving God. We want to be loving people. We want to be doing that in a way that costs us. These are all big, broad brush strokes. And yes, we're even going to prompt you centrally on some biblical practices that we think in this particular culture right now are going to be particularly beneficial to your walk with Jesus. Uh, practices like connecting with him in some way every day. There's, there's so much noise and, and, and content swirling around. To, to zone out of that for a few moments, to connect consciously with Jesus is really crucial. And even fasting. We want to particularly in a, in a society of, of, of too much and of saturation, where, we, where we, our God is our stomach, we want to particularly say, hey, fasting could be really useful for us. And stepping into that could be really helpful for you. And we believe in that because, as we've seen, our body impacts our spirit. And so it's not just a rule to keep. It's a, a genuine act that helps our spiritual life. But what that looks like has to be individualized to you. Let me tell you about the first experience I ever had of fasting. Like, other than like when asleep. Um, I was in a little discipleship group. And it was really well organized. It was really great. It was whilst I was at a church while I was at uni in a different city. And um, my, my good pals there, they, they said, we're going, to do, we're going to fast for two days. I said, okay, what's fasting? Uh, what, two, like whole days? Uh, okay, that sounds like insane. But sure, I'm pretty self-confident. I'm sure it'd be easy. And uh, the first day, uh, I woke up, and I didn't have any breakfast, like a legend. And then I, it was a day where I was traveling, and I went to get on a train, and I got to London, Victoria. It was about quarter past 10 in the morning. And uh, I saw Burger King, and never in its life had Burger King looked more essential to my health. And I thought, no, I can't. I'm on, a fast I'm on day one of my adventure into fasting. And at 16 minutes past 10, I had a Burger King. <laughs> and... I've got to, I mean, I've never had Burger King in the morning. I always wait till noon. Um, and I tell you, the guilt that I felt about that was really unhealthy for my life for months. Because fasting is really important. And I needed the provocation from the group to even step into it. I did. But do you know what? Start where you're at, not where you think you should be. And so maybe it's, do you know what, on that agreed fasting day, maybe I'm going to miss one meal and I'm going to use two minutes of that time to just pray to Jesus. And then at noon, let's make it 11, I'm going to have a Burger King, but I'm going to just start where I'm at. And in a year, maybe we're further, right? Because we grow, because it's a journey. But we have to start where we're at. It's also why we're um, shaping the groups around self-led goals. Uh, it's not that you enter a group and someone else says, here's your 10 commandments that I've made for you. Rather, you reflect what's God calling me to. What does it look like for me right now? And you yourself come up with a few self-led, self-designed goals that fit into these broad brushstrokes. And you ask the group to encourage you in those. And it's got to look different for all of you. Here's a third thing. Uh, sustainable discipleship has to be relational. Can I just ask a favour? Greg, could you just nip down to the kids' work and just explain to them that because Rich is droning on, um, we're just going to be probably five minutes later than we told them, just so that they know what's going on. Thanks, mate. 
Number three, sustainable discipleship has to be relational. Let's just be honest, uh, almost all of us wilt quickly at anything without the support of others we trust. And that is why there is no such thing as solo discipleship in the Bible. Yes, we're individuals, but if we want to actually do this, we need to be embedded in meaningful relationships with others, knitted together with our brothers and sisters. It's why we're urged in Hebrews 10 to not give up meeting together, which assumes that we'll all think about giving up meeting together. And so we're to not give up meeting together, but rather to encourage one another. It's why there's so much one another language in the Bible. We need others. And it's why we want these groups to have a tone of camaraderie, encouragement, cheering on. Yes, of accountability, but I don't know if you've heard that word before. I find that that conjures up images to me of like someone like spying on my life and yelling at me. And I, less that, please, <laughs> and more, you know those self-led goals that you came up with yourself? Can I encourage you again? Can I lift you? Can I breathe into you a new sense of hope that, that God is at work in you? Can I come with no guilt and no shame and grab that guilt and shame off you and throw it away so that you can see again that Jesus is at work in you and it's weeks and months and years keep going. Next step. It's that. It's that sort of tone. Because as the African proverb uh, teaches us, If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, like an oak of righteousness goes far, at least up. (laughs) Go together. Last one, and perhaps most crucial of all, and then we'll um, wrap up, is that sustainable discipleship needs to be built on Jesus. I know uh, that there's enough of you in the room who have... I've been a Christian long enough here or in other places that there could be some bad experiences around being in a discipleship relationship before. Uh, Possibly uh, an intensity, uh, maybe an overstepping of authority where someone assumes the role of guru in a way that becomes strange or overbearing or perhaps even tragically uh, abusive. And none of that. Because in Matthew 28, we're called to make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in the name of Church Central or uh, one, of, one of us or your group leader. Jesus says, teach them to obey all I have commanded you, not all that your uh, little group leader thinks that you should do. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul calls out the weirdness and laughable nature of people saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos as if it's about the who's my person. And Paul just laughs at it and reminds them who they really build on. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Translation, we really want to follow Jesus. That's who we're following. And so we want these groups to be about him. Yes, we look up to and learn from those in the group. I'm really excited to to grow together from the example of those I'll be gathering with. But the person we're apprenticing under is Jesus. We point to Jesus. We shepherd one another to Jesus. We follow Jesus. And you say, what about that verse that says, follow me as I follow Christ? Exactly. To the degree that someone follows Christ, get under them and follow. But it's about Christ. Christ. That's who is our discipler. 
And if we remember that, maybe we'll learn over weeks, months, and years to be disciples. Maybe it won't be a fad. Maybe it won't burn out when we run out of oomph. Maybe we'll become more and more, bit by bit, people who practice costly love for God and for people, even for a lifetime.